thank you, Lord, that you are love and it is vast as the ocean and even farther than we can imagine, God, your grace and your mercy. Uh, no love is higher, wider, deeper than your love, O oh God. And so we are so grateful for your, for your love and for your grace and for your mercy. And we ask, God, um, that as we study your word now, that you would set our affections on you and our hearts on you, open our hearts to the promptings of your spirit, we ask, Father, that you would use your word to hone and sharpen us, God, that we might look more like you, Lord. That's the, the goal of us knowing you, is, is that we might fall more in love with you and, and grow and mature, Lord, uh, becoming uh, deeper, in, uh, growing deeper in our faith, God. So guide us through this time. We need you, Lord, just as we just sang. Now more than ever, we need you, and we love you. So we give you this time in Jesus' name. Amen. Hey, as you're praying, I would appreciate your prayers um, for me and my family. We're nothing major, but we're in the midst of, it's evident that, that the enemy has taken notice. And uh, maybe you're seeing this too in your family. I don't know. And if you are, share with me because so I can pray for you and you can pray for me. But just, I mean, first of all, Leaving your son in Ethiopia for as long as we need to or have to is, is hard, much harder than I anticipated it being on, on me and especially on Michelle. And so uh, we, need, we need help with that. We need God's spirit with that. And then just little things. Um, too many to new name, but as an example, I broke two teeth this week on two separate days, you know? And so it's just like, Okay, <laughs> so I spent three hours in the dentist chair today uh, fixing one of them. I get to do. I get to go back. <laughs> I said, my uncle is Michelle, or my dentist is Michelle's uncle, and uh, I said, "Oh, I get to come back for more of this." <laughs> He's like, "Yeah, <laughs> three shots of whatever that stuff is, Novocaine," and I still felt it. So. Uh, it's it's worn off. I can speak again. It took me all afternoon to figure out how to speak again. But uh, just stuff like that. Like I said, nothing major. I, you know, we're not falling apart, but it's just like Michelle we, and I were texting today, and she's like, you got your armor on? And, was, and she's, what did you say? I'm not sure mine is fastened right. Yeah. <laughs> I was like, yeah. And we need to, I read through that again today. We just need to put on the armor of God, and we need to press forward and and. I recognize we're on the front line, and that's okay. I want to I wanna be there. But uh, um, certainly could use your prayer, and, and I would appreciate that. All right. Huh? Well, certainly. Okay. We, we, we're waiting for the next step in our adoption, which is that our paperwork would be submitted to our embassy there in Ethiopia. And we got word on Monday, we got an email on Monday that they thought they were going to submit it on Tuesday, um, and then that didn't happen. And so that's like, hoo, hoo, hoo. oh, you know, that's, that's something else. Uh, we needed to fill out one, one more form. Um, normally, we would be submitted on Wednesdays. Today is Ethiopian New Year, so they're actually closed today. So would you pray with us that we get submitted tomorrow? Because then, then, the then the clock can start running, and we can say somewhere between five and eight weeks from now, if everything goes according to plan, we'll be going back. So if you would, tonight, as you go to bed or in the morning, whenever you do your praying, pray, hey, Lord, let the Rogers be submitted to embassy. We would appreciate that. Thank you for saying that.
Cool. And for anybody else that has prayer requests, let me know. I, w- I want to pray for you just as much as I ask for prayer. I want to be praying for you. So, All right. So we've been studying the Corinthian church and, and the quote-unquote mess that it is, the, the, the issues that they had. And, and as I said, when we first started studying it, it's not that I think Calvary Chapel Columbus is the same as first the, the, the Corinthian church, that we have the same issues. I, I, to some degree, I'm sure that we do. I'm sure that we have some struggles in the same areas that they do, and so we can glean from that. More than that, what I, I want us to see is that we in Columbus, Ohio, live in a culture that is very much like the Corinthian culture. And so as they were standing and striving to be light in that dark culture, as we are as well, that we can glean from and that we can learn from. And where they made their mistakes, may we not walk down that road. And really the 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 opening point of Paul, and he, he kind of wraps it up here in chapter 4 and then Starting in chapter 5, he gets to some more specific disciplinary issues. But the, the, the theme of the first four chapters, I would say, is, is, is Paul is saying, why are you, why are you seeking uh, the wor- worldly wisdom? Why are you turning your affections back to the world? You've been pulled out of those things. God's ways are higher. God's intelligence is higher. God's wisdom is, is higher than, than the ways of the world. And so why would you consider those things as better than the ways of God? And he's, he's wooing them back. He's calling them back. And he's saying, let me set your feet on the, the foundation that I gave you, which is, as we learned in chapter 2, I preach nothing but Christ and Him crucified. That is the foundation that has been laid, and so they want to get back to that. And so last week we looked at these, over the last couple of weeks, we looked at that Paul identifying three different types of people. There was the natural man. The natural man being the unsaved, the, the one that's living as he was born, focused on the ways of the world and focused on himself, the natural man. And then there was the spiritual man. That was the one that had surrendered his heart and his life to Christ and and so was living for spiritual things, living with his heart and his affection on God. And then he introduced lastly, and what we studied last week, was the idea of a carnal man. And that's somebody that had set their affections in their heart on God but had been drawn back to the affections of the flesh. They, they had um, found, uh, I don't know, joy, uh, in, enjoyment, let's say that, in, in the ways of the world. And so they were living carnally. They should have had their mind on spiritual things, but they had been distracted. They had been pulled back. And, and Paul's saying, that shouldn't be. We shouldn't be that way. And the way that was evidenced was that there was division in the church. And some were saying, I'm of Paul. And some were saying, well, I'm of Apollos. And some were saying, you know, I'm of Peter or I'm of Christ. And, and Paul's saying, you know, one's a waterer, one's a sower. Okay. They're the same. It's not, there's no greatness in, in either one of those things. It's the greatness comes from God, the one that brings the increase. He is the one that brings the increase, and so we give him praise. And so he's saying we don't we don't cause division or we don't create division by saying who we follow. We are of God. 
And so that's kind of where we left off, and that's where the idea picks up there in verse 1 of chapter 4. He says, let a man so consider us, speaking of Apollos and Paul specifically, that seemed to be where the greatest division was. Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So as he speaks of himself and as he speaks of Apollos, he's saying, think of us as two, in two ways. First, think of us as a servant. And we talked about this a little bit, that the Jesus style of leadership is servanthood. It's, it's not raising yourself up so that other people might serve you as you lead. It's the opposite. As you lead, you actually step behind people and you point them toward God. You, you serve them, you humble them, just as Jesus washed the disciples' feet on his last night alive. He, he humbled himself and he became a, a servant. And so that is our example. That's our model. And so he's saying, consider us as servants. And the word there is actually, uh, can be translated as an under rower. Okay, that's the word servant there is an under rower. And that's the people that were in the bottom of the ship. You know, that there were usually three or four on a bench on, and then another bench straight across and with three or four guys and, and several rows of benches, each having an oar. And they would be most likely be chained to that oar and they were just there rowing. And they would row, row to the cadence of a drum. And, and, and so Paul's saying, that's me. That's Apollos. We, we're, we're, we're unmentionable. We're, we're not noteworthy. We're just two men holding on to the oars that we've been given. The, the one that makes the call is the master of the ship. The one that, that drives the ship and decides the way the ship is going, that being Christ, he is the one of worthy mention. We are just under rowers. We are just servants. And so great picture there as, uh, as he says, a servant of Christ. Christ being the head of the ship. But he also says not just servants, but also what? Stewards. Different mentality in the arena of service. A steward was still a servant. Uh, a steward was still somebody that, you know, was a, was a man under authority. But yet the steward was the one that was in control of a house's treasures. He was the servant that would have access to the finances of the house to care for the people of the house and care for the needs of the house. He was the one that would buy the groceries. He was the one that would pay the electric bill. And I know they didn't. Yes, I understand. But as a, you know, he, he, he made sure the oil was changed in the car. He made sure the laundry was done. He made sure the, the beds were made. He, 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 made sure that they had everything that they needed and, and each person had what they needed as well. That's, that was the steward of the house. He was in charge of the house's treasures. And so he's saying now, consider us as servants, but also stewards of what? Stewards of the mysteries of God. And so what's the house that he is a steward of, that Paul is a steward of, that we are a steward of? It's the mysteries of God, that, that we hold these treasures. These are, these are the treasures that we are to be responsible with, that we are to be good stewards of, that we are to give an, an exact account of. That was another issue as, as, they, as the steward cared for the house. He wasn't fully just go do whatever you want. 
he was expected to keep an exact account so the the master of the house could could see what what he was doing with his money and so paul's saying we've been entrusted with the the mysteries of god the the word of god these things have been revealed to us he says in chapter 1 or 2 i, I don't recall but the, that that we understand them and so we've been entrusted with them entrusted to do what well to quote unquote to spend them wisely to use them wisely to 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 be about the father's business to care for the father's house to care for the 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 mission or the goal of the house which is what well it goes back to my one of my favorite verses the great commission we're to be about what god is on mission with that we we join him in his mission making disciples baptizing them in the name of the father son and holy spirit teaching them to observe all that jesus has commanded them and and so that's that's the 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 goal of us stewarding the mysteries that he has given us you with me so he says be be consider us as servants consider us as stewards still servants under rowers and 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 managers of the household i like verse 2 it says moreover it is required in stewards that one be found faithful well that would make sense wouldn't it as as you were interviewing people to come and 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 care for your household and say you want to essentially give over the keys of your house to say you're going to run this you want to find somebody that is precise you want to find somebody that is faithful to to manage your money well they're not you see or you hear examples in the in the sports world you know an 18 19 year old 20 year old kid suddenly gets a, a contract for 40 or 50 or 60 million dollars and all of a sudden they have an entourage around them saying let me manage your money let me help you with this you have no idea how to handle this and they don't but oftentimes they pick the wrong person they they pick their best friend or they pick you know uh, an uncle or, or or something somebody that doesn't necessarily have any knowledge of money to to they don't have a proven track record they don't have they don't have faithfulness and that's why more often than not when especially in, in basketball basketball is the sport i tend to follow when a, a player is done playing they only have so many years in the league right around between 10 and 12 when they're done and they go to retire and if they've had somebody that isn't faithful they have no money to retire on and you hear that story a lot how could how could you make 40 or 50 million dollars in the course of 10 years and and go to retire and not have anything that's because their steward wasn't faithful and so he it's required especially in, in, in Christian service, that one be found faithful. And this is where we see a, a difference between the, the world's ways and the world's economy and the world's structure and God's ways and God's economy and God's structure. Because at the top of God's list of importance is is faithfulness do you see that it's required in stewards that one be found faithful you and i are called to be faithful or called to be stewards and and the, and, and god is saying through his word the, the most important thing that you could do as a steward is be faithful as you look at the world 
and the way that they see things, what's the most important thing to somebody in the world's economy? It's success. It's, it's, it could be fame, it could be money, it could be all, all bound up in the word success. And so the greatest thing is success at the, at the cost of faithfulness. If this will help you become more successful, be unfaithful. Step on whoever. You don't dance with the one who brung you. If you need to step on them at some point, you do so that you can get further up the ladder. That's success in the world's eyes. And God's saying, success isn't the most important thing to me. Faithfulness is. And I think if you, if you kind of think about that for a minute, it makes a world of sense. Because faithfulness is what? Faithfulness is, is us recognizing that in and of ourselves, we don't have the ability to do anything. It's Faithfulness is, is placing our faith in Christ. It's placing our hope in Him. It's, our, it's, it's a recognition that, God, it's, it's all you. Everything is you. I, I just, all I do is I place my faith in you and you become what we need. You become what the world needs. He, he's the seed that is planted. He is the one who waters. He is the one that causes increase. And, and so we just place our faith in Him. It's, it's different than the world's economy. And so he continues, Paul continues to... to drive a wedge between the world's ways and, and God's ways, hoping to show this church that you're, you're chasing after the things of the world, and, and there is little to no value in that. All the while, the reason he's writing this letter is because he's, he's responding to the fact that he had been defamed in the Corinthian church. Apollos you know, came behind him, and, and it's not, I'm not saying this is Apollos' fault, but Apollos was far more witty and far more charming and far more uh, communicative, and, and, and so many people were drawn to him. And, and in that happening, then they said, well, that Paul, he, you know, he didn't, look good. he didn't look the part, he didn't feel the part, he didn't... And, and so they began to put him down, and, and word of that got back to Paul. And so now he's responding to that. He says in verse 3, But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know nothing against myself. Yet, I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. And so he's saying... You guys, you know, you're putting me down. You're judging me, saying that I am of no value, essentially. And he's saying, I really don't care what you think. Yeah, it's a small thing that you're judged. You judge me, is what he says. And that's such a that's such a relieving point of view. When when you can when you can simply say. It doesn't matter what the world thinks of me. It doesn't, it doesn't matter what, if, I, if I'm successful in the world's eyes. I, I don't care if you judge me or not. I, I, I place no value in that. He goes on to say, I don't even judge myself. 
Interesting thought, because you and I do that on a daily basis, don't we? We do that when we look in the mirror. Oh, man. I've eaten too much again. I, I, it's, a, it's a bad habit. It's a, uh, um, uh, look at my ear hair, it's growing, you know? Or, or we, we make judgments like that, or, or in the way our pants fit, or in our, the way our hair lays, and, well, not mine, but in the, my hair looks good every day. <laughs> Paul and I were talking about that, and I was thinking, I, nobody will ever know if I have the crown of wisdom. <laughs> no. I shave it off before it... <laughs> anyway, but we make judgments, and, and Paul's saying, I, I don't even do that. That's a waste of time. Why? Because the heart's deceitfully wicked? So why would you bother passing judgment on yourself? Because chances are you're, you're deceiving yourself. And you're looking at yourself through your own eyes rather than the way God looks at you. And so he's saying, why, why bother even doing that? He says, no, the, the important judge, the, the, the one that we should be concerned with, the one that our focus should be on, is being judged by the Lord in verse 4. For I know nothing against myself, he says, yet I'm not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. That's, that's where our, I don't want to say concern is, because I don't want to be concerned about that, but that's where our focus should be, is to say, am I following the, the calling of God in my life? Am I being obedient to what God has called me to? Am I being faithful to His ways and to His statutes? Am I, am I pursuing His righteousness? Because He's the one that, that's going to judge. If a person passes judgment on you, how long is that for? At most, it's your earthly life, is it not? I mean, at, at most, it's 70 or 80 years. If you pass judgment on yourself, how long is it? Same thing. It's your lifetime at most. But, but God's judgment is eternal. And, and, and so that's where our focus needs to be. David, uh, in, in the psalm, says, our lives are a vapor. I love that. that because so much emphasis is placed on well, you got to carpe diem. You got to live every day to the fullest because, you know, it's, and, and uh, there's some truth to that, but, but they, they place so much value in this earthly life that when it's over, it's over. And that's not the case. As I've said a couple times, death is not the end of the road, it's a bend in the road. And, and around that bend, you have eternity. We did this when I was teaching Monday night study a while back. This little example, we took a rope. And we, and we passed it all the way around the room, and everybody was holding on to the rope. And at one point, we put a paper clip on the rope. And we said, you know, as you look at this rope going all the way around this room, and then you come to one little paper clip there, think of that as the timeline of eternity. And that's somebody's life. That paper clip is 80 years. And that's, that helps you get a visual of, of the way it's going to be because our lives are a vapor. And so Paul's saying, why place value or why be concerned with or with judgments of this world, with the judgment of other people or even the judgment of ourself? Focus more on, on the judgment of the Lord. I like what he says there. I, I know nothing against myself. Paul's like, 
I'm doing okay, I think. I, 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 I haven't stopped to think. I haven't, I haven't condemned myself over anything. But, but what does he say? Yet, I'm not justified by that. Even if I, 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 I keep the slate clean, even if I do well to honor God in every day of my life and I, I don't ever sin, Paul's saying I, I'm still not justified by that. I'm justified by, by Jesus' blood. And so he, he even places no value in that. We're not justified by our actions, but by where our faith is placed, Right? He goes on to say in verse 5, Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, who will, bring, who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the heart. Then each one's praise will come from God. Paul's saying, don't pass judgment now. There's a day coming, he reminds us. I love that. Paul is constantly reminding us, hey, Jesus is coming back. Jesus is coming back, says it often, and, and, and so that day is coming, and when he does, he's going to bring to light both the hidden things of darkness and the counsels of the heart. Remember that as he was talking about that in chapter, yeah, I can't remember if it was three or two, where he was saying, um, no one knows the heart of a man except the, the, or no one knows the will of the man except the heart of the man or the spirit of the man is what he says. And just as nobody knows the heart of God except the Spirit of God, and therefore you have the, when, when you accept Christ in your heart, you receive the Spirit so that you can understand the mind of Christ. Remember all of that? So now he's saying we, we can't make the proper judgment on other people because we don't know, we don't have the counsels of the heart. I don't, like I, like I said that day when we were walking through that, Tim Nisley was sitting here. I don't know the hearts of, or the, the, the thoughts of Tim Nisley unless he chooses to reveal those to me. And, and so we don't know the motive, we don't know the heart of a man as, as to why they make the decisions that they make. And so why pass judgment? Because we don't understand the heart. But God will bring that to light in the proper season. And so when he does, then he goes on to say, then each one's praise comes from God. Would you rather have the praise of man or the praise of God? Would you rather have somebody pat you on the back and say, well done, good job? Or would you rather have Jesus looking you face to face and saying, well done, my good and faithful servant, welcome home? That's what I'm aiming for. That's what I want in my life is to, to please my God and to be faithful to him and not be concerned with the ways of the world. And that's what Paul is saying. Why, why set your affections on the ways of the world? Our praise comes from God, not from men. And so we set our affection toward him. He goes on to say in verse 6, Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sakes that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against the other. Again, going back to the division that was happening in the church between Paul and Apollo specifically, he's saying, I'm giving you this analogy. Consider us as servants. Consider us as stewards, going back to verse 1. Use that as an analogy so that you understand who we are, that we are merely under rowers and stewards of somebody else's mysteries, the mysteries of God. And so think of us that way. As we talked about last week, Paul and Apollos, what difference does it make? They're one. 
We are one. We are the bride of Christ. There is no, you know, camp of, like I said, David Platt or Louis Giglio or, or Matt Chandler or Mark Driscoll or, or Chuck Smith or Greg Laurie. There are, we're, we're not divided into those camps. We are the bride of Christ. We are one in Him. And so we're just all servants serving our loving God that we might not be puffed up <laughs> like that. You guys have blessed me, and I really appreciate that. I, I want to say this. I want to say thank you. As we've made the transition, as, we, um, as I'm learning how to, to be a pastor and to lead, um, you guys have done well to encourage me, and I'm very grateful for that. Very, I mean, it's every week that somebody comes up to me Hey, you're doing a great job. Your your teaching is is really good, and 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 I'm encouraged by those things. But I, I want to let you know I don't live on those things, because well while they feed my ego, they puff me up. That's not my goal. My goal is not to please you. My goal is to please God, and so. As long as I get to the, the heaven's gate and, and, and he says, hey, you did well, son. That's my goal in life. And if along the way I bless you, well, praise the Lord. I mean, you know, glory to him because I'm just a waterer. I'm just a planter. I, you know, I, I, I'm just an under rower. It's not me. It's God in me. And so when Dave was alive and, and uh, he and I used to walk out of here almost every Wednesday night together, he would say, you know, as we were leaving, Chris, you're a good man. And I'd look at him and I'd say, Dave, there's no such thing. That's what Scripture would say. There are none righteous, no, not one. But he was, you know, encouraging me and he was helping me and, and, and I appreciated that. And I was reminding him that I'm not striving for your encouragement, Dave Brown. That's, I mean, yes, I appreciate it, but that's not my end goal. My end goal is to please God. And if we can all adopt that, if we can all foster that mentality in our lives, we'll do so much better because then we're not concerned with what people think about us. Paul wasn't. We shouldn't be either. And here's why. Look at verse 7. He's like, why bother splitting hairs? Why bother uh, you know, saying Paul is better or Apollos is better? He says in verse 7, For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you indeed did receive it, why do you boast if you had not received it? That's three great questions for our lives. As we walk this world, as we live this life, in order to remain humble, humble yourself in the sight of the Lord, He will lift you up. In order to remain humble, ask yourself those questions frequently. What makes you different than anyone else? Are you good at something? You got something that you're proud of, that you're good at? You know what? I could put in a garage door. I'm pretty good at it. I've had, you know, people in the profession come and tell me, Chris, you do a really nice job. You know, this. you know what you're doing. You know how to handle these things. What... Was that me that did that? That said, you know, I'm going to be excellent at garage door-ing. 
I'm not so excellent at English. <laughs> no. God put the ability in me to know how to put a garage door together, to, to know how to wind the spring and to set the cables and to set the track. and to God allowed me to learn that. And so what makes me different than anybody else, is it something that I did? No. What, what makes you good at what you do? Is it something that you did? No. <laughs> I mean, sure. Did you spend your, your hard-earned money? Did you spend your education you know, learning those things? Yes, to some degree. But then the question is, well, who gave you the mind to learn? Who, who put the money in your, in your wallet? Who, who, who taught you how to tie your shoes? Who, and who taught that person? Who taught that person? Who taught that person? It goes back to God gave you the knowledge. God gave you the ability. God, if there's something different about you that sets you apart from everybody else, did it come from you? The answer is no. The answer is it came from God. And so then the second question, what do you have that you did not receive? As you look around, as you look at what you own, as you look at more than just your things, what you have, as I have a wife and I have kids, I received those things. I didn't, I didn't create them. God did. God gave. God blessed. God shared. And, and then the third question. Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? That's, that's the end all question. He's like, what are you proud of? Everything you got is a gift from God. That breath you just took, it's a gift from God. That your arm doesn't just suddenly fall off? It's a gift from God. <laughs> he holds our atoms together. That you make it home safe tonight? It's a gift from God. And so, why would we boast? I love that line in, in How Deep the Father's Love. I, I will not boast in anything. No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ his death and resurrection because it's in him we just simply place our faith in him we just simply rest in him it's in him that we have all these things our love language between michelle and i and the kids they, they talk about the five love languages who wrote that was that dobson that wrote that book five love languages was it smalley and how you know gifts and i forget all what all the five are he, he, never, he never mentions our love language. Our love language in our house is sarcasm. We, we are sarcastic with one another to, to the nth degree. And, and it's, 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 if somebody walked in on us having a family conversation, they would be like, well, we're, in, we're in love with one another because we are just sarcastic with one another. So I like these next few verses because Paul gets very sarcastic with his his church. He, 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 I like this about Paul. Watch this. He says, you're already full. You're already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign. Get serious for a minute. That we also might reign with you. He's like, oh, you guys got it figured out. You, you know what's going on. Forgive me. You, you're, you're putting me down. You're telling me I don't know my place. I don't know what I'm doing. You, you, 
you got it figured out. You're already rich. You're, you're, you're living as kings. I, I, I wish you were living as kings because then maybe I wouldn't be in the position I'm in, is what Paul says. And he goes on now to speak in verse 9 about the, the position that he's in, as Paul is in. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both angels and to men. Paul, remember, Paul, as he's on his missionary journeys, are, those are hard times. Those are difficult things. Beaten up in almost every town he comes to, kicked out, left for dead, drowning, shipwrecked, you know, just bitten by snakes. He's, he's got a hard life being an apostle. And he's saying, I, I liken it to this, he says, that, that we're on display. We've been made a spectacle. The word there, in the original language is the word we get the word theater from. As people watch me, it's like watching theater is what Paul is saying. We're, we're the world's entertainment because of how hard things are. We've become a spectacle to the world. We're condemned to get death. The, the idea uh, in that day was um, when, a, when a Roman... Um, what's the word? Commander army commander, captain. You know, when a Roman captain would, would take a city or would take a, an area, they would claim all the possessions, they'd claim all the booty, and they would claim all the people, and they would march back to Rome. And as they marched back to Rome, they would have a processional. And, and the captain would be at the front of this processional, and then they would, you know, all the, the um, soldiers would come behind and, and uh, you know, in proud you know, array and, and, and displayed well. And, and then they would show all the treasure. And at the end of the processional, at, at the end of the spectacle, as he says here, would be the, the prisoners of the land, would be the people that they had taken captive. And those people would be paraded in, often naked and, and broken and bleeding and, and shamed. And then they, as they proceeded, they would, would throw them to the, into the Colosseum to be a spectacle to be theater for the, the people of Rome. And, and they would throw them to the lions or they would let the gladiators beat up on them. And so Paul's saying, that's what my life is like. If, if you truly were rich, if you truly did know it all, if you truly were as kings, you could save us from this because this is what God has for the apostles. He goes on to say, and then this is where the sarcasm gets strong, but with, with truth involved. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished. We are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless, and we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we blessed, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world and the offscouring of the things until now. He speaks, when he's speaking of himself, he's speaking in truth there. When he speaks of them, he is speaking with sarcasm or the way that they would view themselves, which is a, a fantasy. You are wise in Christ, is what he says. You are strong. You are distinguished. And then he paints a, 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 a picture that you and I wouldn't deem as success, would we? 
we're hungry, we're thirsty, we're, we're poorly clothed, we're beaten, we're, we're homeless, we, we labor with our hands. That would have been a, an insult to the Corinthian church because they were of the Greek mentality that those that, that, that worked with their hands were, were of little to no value. The way you rose in success is the less, least, or less work you did. And so he's saying, we do that. We work with our hands. We, when we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we, we press on and we endure. When we're defamed, as, as the church was doing to Paul, we entreat. And that's what he's doing. He's saying, let's set these things right. We have been made as the filth of the world. There you go, church. There's your church growth success program. Become the filth of the world. The off-scouring of all things until now. That's a kind of a cool word. Set the, set the trash outside. In the NIV, it says there, we are the scum of the earth. Hi, my name's Chris Rogers. Here's my business card. I'm the scum of the earth. Who we are. Um... One of our favorite bands, um, Five Iron Frenzy. It was our first date. We went on a, to a Five Iron Frenzy concert. Their, their uh, lead singer's name is Reese Roper. That's who we named our son after. That's how much we liked them as we were young and in love. But um, after Five Iron Frenzy had stopped and, and was finished, they, they started a church there in Denver, Colorado. The name of the church? Scum of the earth. Come on, that's a pretty cool name. <laughs> because far too much in Christianity, we want to place on our lives the, the mold of the world. Our, our, our churches need to have this and this and this in order to be successful. Or we need to look like this and this and this in our lives in order to be successful. And Paul, or God, God is saying, don't be so focused on success. Be focused on faithfulness. Is the, is the country preacher that ministers his entire life to ten people any less successful in God's eyes than the, the ritzy pastor that has 10,000 people in his church and multi-million dollar buildings and budgets? Is that man any less faithful because he's not as worldly successful? No. He's doing what he's been called to do, to minister to 10 people. And if he does that well, if he serves them well, if he continues in that well, he's going to receive the reward just as much as the man that ministers to 10,000. Not everybody is called to be the next Billy Graham. Somebody here might be. It isn't me. I know my calling in life. It's to serve this church. And if that's 10 people, that's 10 people. If it's 10,000 people, it's 10,000 people. I don't care. I just want to be faithful. That's what Paul wanted. We don't strive for success in the world's eyes. We break that mold. We don't lay our lives down on the pattern of that, that, or rather on that pattern. We're just called to be faithful to what he's called us to. 
He goes on to say in verse 14, I don't write these things to shame you, but as my beloved children, I warn you. His motive in disciplining them and in saying these things is not to, to put them to shame or to, to cause them embarrassment. It's love. He's disciplining them in love. For though you might have 10,000 instructors in Christ, yet you do not have many fathers. For in Christ Jesus, I have begotten you through the gospel. Paul's saying, hey, yeah, you've had different pastors come through the church. I didn't stay there. I was there for 18 months. Apollos came after me and, and other people have come and, and you've had 10,000 instructors just like you and I have. Uh, yes, we had Dave Brown for 20 years here at this church, but other people have spoken into your life. You might have grown up in church. You might have, you, you have had other people. You've had 10,000 instructors, but there's the one who's your father in the faith, the one that brought you to Christ. And that person, whoever that is, has a special relationship with you and has the ability to speak into your life differently than the way 10,000 instructors would because they're the ones that walked you through the process of salvation. And Paul's saying, that's me, church, Corinth. That's me. I'm your dad, and I'm coming to discipline you in love. And verse 16, oh my goodness. Therefore, I urge you, imitate me. That's a bomb drop. That's a, that, that causes the Corinthian church to, to go off axis. I mean, I don't know that for a fact, but knowing that what they were striving for was the ways of the world, was success in the world, and now he's coming and saying, I'm the scum of the earth, be like me, throws it off axis. Crazy. They look down on Paul. Why, why would they want to? Why would they want to be like him? Because he's faithful. For this reason, I have sent Timothy to you, who is my beloved and faithful son in the Lord, who will remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach everywhere in every church. Timothy, he says of Timothy, that's my true son in the faith. And now he's going to say, hey, I'm coming. He's going to remind the church, hey, I I'm coming back to you. <laughs> now some are puffed up as though I were not coming to you. But I will come to you shortly, if the Lord wills. And I will know, not the words of those who are puffed up, but the power. Oh, you want to you say something about me? You want to talk to me? We'll, we'll see where your power is, not your words, when I come to you. I like that. It's like, we'll see if you're willing to say what you have to say face to face. Don't just send me an anonymous email. <laughs> talk to my face. But he also says in verse 19, just so you notice there, I'm, I will come to you shortly, what? If the Lord wills. That's the way we live our lives, Christian. I want to do this and this and this. That's what James would say. That the man has plans. I want to do this and this and this. But we have to say, if the Lord wills. Do I want this church to grow? Do I want this church to be more and more people to hear the, the good news, the gospel of Jesus Christ? Yes. Do I, do, do I want to pack this place out time and time and time again? Yes. If the Lord wills. It's up to him. I'm just an under rower. Whatever he wants. 
For the kingdom of God is not in word, but in power. And then he asks a question to close the chapter. What do you want? Shall I come to you with a rod or in love and a spirit of gentleness? How do you want your discipline? <laughs> you want me to beat you over the head? Or you want me to come to you in love? We ask our kids that question all the time, don't we? For the first 13 times, I will say, please don't do that. Please don't do that. Please don't do that. Oh, you don't want me to discipline in you in love. Okay, go put your hands on the sink. <laughs> we'll take care of this. I'm coming with the rod. But even that is in love. Even that and the motive, as he said back in verse 14, the motive for his discipline is not shame or embarrassment. It's because he calls them beloved children. So as we walk this world, as we consider these things, we ask those questions. What makes you different from another? What do you have that you didn't receive? Why do you boast as if you had not received it? And then check your motive, check your heart, and say, what are my pursuits? What am I aiming for? Where am I going? Am I after the success of this world? Am I pursuing that? Because if so, I need to repent and come back and stand on the firm foundation of Jesus Christ and Him crucified and then pursue a different path, the path of faithfulness to God. Amen? All right, we'll stand, we'll close in prayer. Lord, we thank You for Your Word and I thank You for Your faithfulness, Lord, for even when we fall short, You are ever faithful. But God, so often we measure ourselves by the standard of this world. We judge ourselves and we take the judgment of other peoples, oh God. Forgive us. So help us to set our affections on you and on you alone. May our lives be about bringing you glory, pleasing you, living for you, being faithful, God. Fill us with a measure of faithfulness now by the power of your Spirit. I ask in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you.